Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. All right, this week we are going to start a series going through the book of James. And so for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to go through this book. And uh, just like any other book, there's no way that you can take all of James especially and, and crunch it and cram it into four weeks. And so really what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you on your own throughout the week to go chapter by chapter each week and just absorb it for yourself. Because we all can read, right? We all, we all have Bibles. We all have Bible apps. We can take it and we can digest it for ourselves. So what I'm probably going to do each week is just kind of take a... Uh, a section, a chunk from the chapters and, and, and preach about that. Is that good with you guys? Yeah. All right, awesome. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you don't know, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, this is the James, and I believe Acts 15, who was the head of the Jerusalem church. And so when you read James, I want you to read it understanding this is Jesus' brother talking. Uh, but also I want you to understand that this was also the same brother that when Jesus went to his hometown, they were mocking him and not believing anything he said. Then he dies on the cross, rose again, appeared to his brothers like, you believe now? And he's like, oh crap, you for real are the Messiah. And so he puts his faith in, in his brother. And I think it's interesting because when you, when you start out uh, James, you see that James does not start out like Paul, where Paul was like an apostle of the gospel. He's like a bondservant. And he's saying that because it's almost from a posture of humility, like, hey, I'm not even worthy of calling myself an apostle because I didn't believe in my brother and who he said he was. And so I love the way he starts. But in verse two through four, some very familiar passages of scripture uh, that are just so inspirational and so challenging. And I'm hoping that as we read these together, it will just, you will just absorb everything that is in these, these three verses. Verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Anybody got some trials in their lives? Any challenges? Any difficult things? Welcome to be an American. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work. Say, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'll go ahead and skip down to verse 12. Verse 12 says this. I love this verse. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Such, so many, just so much in these short passages of scripture. Will you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we start in prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its constant relevancy 
that it can speak to every single thing going, in our, going on in our lives. Thank you that it can fit where we are right now, that if we're in trials, we have challenges, we've got difficult things going on that are opportunities for perseverance and endurance. I pray we would be inspired, encouraged, and challenged by the words here to press on. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody got, like to go to the gym? Anybody like, come, <laughs> wow, there was like two people. Okay, we'll, we'll reframe the question. Have you ever in your life happened to walk through the doors of a gym? Okay, <laughs> there was like two people. We'll, 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 just to kind of show anything, anybody like to go to the gym at three o'clock in the morning? Exactly, I just did that because I know he's the only weird one in here. <laughs> but if you've ever been to the gym, there are some characters in the gym. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite characters is the guy that has no idea how to lift the weights, but he wants to impress everybody by putting 200 pounds up on a machine going six inches at a time. He's like, like that, don't you? It's like, you're not even doing it right. But there's one particular character in the gym that is perhaps my favorite. And I, I want to show you a picture here because I want you to see who this person is. Go ahead and show that picture. You ever seen this guy? <laughs> this is a character, caricature, but I promise you this is a real person. The guy that's extremely top heavy, all he does is buys and tries and shoulder and chest. This is the I like to skip leg day guy. <laughs> Never in his life has he ever done, that, that's, you can move, you can go ahead and take that off, it just kind of creeps me out, but, but never in, in this guy's life has he ever done a leg workout. So from the top up, he's ripped, but from the bottom down, he's got the legs of an 11-year-old prepubescent boy. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? This is a real person. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen that type of guy when you went to the gym that one time you went? And it was probably the week after January 1st and you're like, ah, not for me. <laughs> but see, all jokes aside, this is a picture of what things look like when they're out of balance. And how many of you know that when you overemphasize just a couple things at the neglect of everything else every single time, it's going to create imbalance. And here's one of the main reasons why we overemphasize. We overemphasize because we overlook other things that we don't think are important. And often, those things end up coming back to bite us, right? Because the things you overlook and you overemphasize, you tend to overlook these things and you don't think they're important until you come to a point where you realize, wow, those things were really important. I think in Song of Solomon, there's this metaphor. It's the little foxes that do what? Spoil the vine. You don't think it's a big deal until it becomes a big deal. Right. And so we have this tendency, it's a human tendency, to overemphasize other things and overlook other things. Paul addressed this a tendency of overemphasizing and overlooking within the church in 1 Corinthians, in verses, chapter 12, verses 21 and 22. He says this. He says, the eye cannot say to the what? Hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, 
It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are incredibly necessary. Allison and I like to play this game. I don't know if you're as weird as we are, but we'll go out on dates and, and we'll play this game. It's like a scenario. It's like, what part of your body could you not live without? Or what, party could, what part of your body could you live without? Grant's like, I, I'm on the same level. But then, like, you start to think about it, and you're like, no, that actually has purpose and meaning and importance in your life. This is what this scripture is speaking to. Now, think about this. Now, if that's true in the physical body, how much more true is that in the church? Because that's what Paul is addressing here. He's using a metaphor. He's addressing the idea that even then, at this time, in the church, there were groups of people that were promoting ideas that other groups of people weren't that important. And he's, these eyes are calling these hands, they're not that big of a deal. We don't need them. But how many of you know in the church, everyone has value. Everyone has meaning. Everyone is absolutely important. I'll take it a step further. Nobody in this room is indisposable especially to God, and far be it from the church that we would consider and look at people as someone we can't live without, where we can live without. Everybody is important. Let me give you an example. I would say that the nursery and the children's ministry are highly important. Can I get an amen? amen. And here's why they're important. Now, uh, you, you, you might have to retract your amen in about a minute. Where I, when I go where I go. See, everybody's like, they're absolutely important. Now, here's the problem. And the reason why they're so important is because ain't nobody trying to sit in an hour and 45-minute church service trying to get their kids to sit still and prevent their babies from, from crying. Ain't nobody got time for that. We've had services like that during COVID, and people were like, can he just get it over with? Let's go. Like, you love your own kids, and then you can't stand them in that service, right? right? Shut up. Praise God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Shut up. <laughs> so you know what that means? Because those ministries are so important, this is a shameless plug. That means that those ministries actually need some of us who don't think that ministry is important or I think that ministry is important, to actually serve in that area. Because, listen to me, we don't want to find out how important it is by not having it. <laughs> we don't want to go, we, we don't want to find out how important it is by not having it. And it's like that, what is that scripture, or it's that, um, that idea of familiarity can breed contempt. But I'll tell you, absence of the heart, our absence makes the heart grow fonder. Do we need to just take like two months with no our kids or nursery so everybody starts to sign up? No, thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> this is not con condemnation. Kim, this is probably the best message you've ever heard. She's like, hallelujah, I'm about to put a lampshade on my head and run around the sanctuary. <laughs> we don't want to find out how important they are. See, Paul was addressing the tendency that both in the church and in our human experience, we often overemphasize some things while overlooking other things. But listen to me this morning. Those things are equally as important even if you overlook them. This is one of the reasons that the book of James was written. James writes his letter 
to address the importance of the practical elements of faith in Jesus Christ that often get overlooked. He was saying, hey, we have a whole list of things that are entirely practical, but we don't think they're really that important because we are spending our time and energy and we are hyper-focusing on those things that we deem to be more spiritual. And James wasn't the only one that was attempting to bring the church back to a balance of importance in this area because look at what Paul said in one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. I love what he says in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see what I'm saying? Everybody in here speaking the tongue, but you hate people? He's like, that's cool. I'm glad you have that spiritual gift, but love is as important. In verse 2, he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If you can in your seat speak in tongues and sing in tongues, but you won't give up your seat to a visitor. Because you don't think it's that spiritual. It's as as important. See, how many of you know that we can have the same tendency in the church today to overemphasize and overlook? And there are ministries throughout the world that build their entire ministry on overemphasis. I know that there are churches that every message has to do with money. I know churches where every message has to do with the end times. I know churches that overemphasize works and overlook grace. And then churches who overemphasize grace and overlook works. There are churches that are all about the Word of God and no Holy Spirit, and then there are churches that are all about the Holy Spirit and no Word of God. It's this constant overemphasis and overlooking. I'll never forget a guy that was really about faith. And uh, (laughs) I'll give you, hold on, here's his profile on Facebook. Let me look it up real quick. Guys, go ahead and type it. I'm kidding. (laughs) I love doing that. That's so funny. But, um, he refused to get a job because he was believing God was going to give him a truck. I got news for you. Dude, I never get a truck. You know why? Because God doesn't bless faith that's lazy. Lazy faith is the overemphasis of belief, all the while overlooking work. It's not one or the other, it's both. Some people live out there, some people believe in Jesus because they love the allure of a faith lifestyle that demands nothing of them. They're just constantly on the receiving end where they don't have to do anything. And James is written to bring things back to a balance. He says in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anybody? 
For example, if a brother or sister in the faith, and oh my gosh, this is so, this is so the church world. If a brother or sister in the faith is, a poorly, is poorly clothed, clothed and hungry, and you leave them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? It, this is the church world. I know. Let me just tell you, I'm, this is so funny. This is a classic story. Jason Dunbar's car broke down in the middle of the winter about a mile from a Christian bookstore on the north side of Columbus. He, he's meeting a friend of his at the store. This is a factual story. He's meeting a friend at the bookstore. Dude walks through the snow, about eight inches of snow, to get to the bookstore. He enters into the store, and he's talking to one of the guys at the counter about what he just went through. And the guy looks at him in the face and says, brother, you know what you need to do? Jason's like, what? He's like, take that to the cross. <laughs> Thanks. Because I can't feel my feet. Can you, can you take me back to my car and give me a jump? This happens all the time. What, what dismissive statements. Take it to the cross, brother. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. But see, the life of a follower of Jesus is not supposed to be lived in extremes, but in the balance of these things. And so James writes this letter to address the practical elements of faith in Jesus that often get overlooked because they are deemed to not be spiritual enough. And so the undertone of his whole letter is this. Hey guys, this practical stuff is as spiritual and as important as the spiritual stuff. And one of the things that was getting overlooked here is that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then your life should be one that is an example of being persistent through perseverance. If there is any group of people that walks the planet, it should be the people of God that have grit, that have determination, that have endurance, that have perseverance. We should model this in our lives. See, why was perseverance a problem? Why is James actually addressing this? By the way, I just have to take this time to set up the whole book, and then we'll actually get into the topical stuff in a minute and in the weeks to come. But why was this a problem? This was a problem primarily because the Jews who came to faith in Jesus Christ were believing that once the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, Lord of lords comes, everything, all the problems, troubles, difficulties are just going to evaporate and we're going to all gather together and sing, Kumbaya, my Lord. Come on. Kumbaya. Thank you. <laughs> I was waiting. Air high five. So like, so Jesus, and we know this because Palm Sunday, Jesus shows up. Hosanna! He's here to, uh, to occupy Jerusalem, to sit on the throne, to remove Rome. And then Jesus dies and they're like, crap. And then Jesus raises from the dead, appears to them, and they're like, he's going to do it now! And then 40, 50 days later, he's like, deuces. <laughs> and there was this constant cycle 
<laughs> there was this constant cycle where they're like, now he's going to set the kingdom up. And there's going to be peace everywhere. And we're not going to have any problems anymore. Wrong! And so now there's like years later, by the way, James was this probably the first New Testament book outside of the Gospels that got circulated to the entire church. Before Paul's letters, it was James. And it was addressing this problem of perseverance, like, you guys are wanting the rapture to come, you're wanting to be off of the planet, you're wanting peace on earth and goodwill towards men, no pain, no problems, but guess what? Um, I hate to break it to you, but that's just not how it's going to work. Uh, we're still going to have to go through hard stuff. And so they were overemphasizing other things while overlooking perseverance. Let me just say this. Stop resisting the moments in life that require perseverance. Because he's using every moment encountered by the believer because God uses those moments to mature you and complete you because God wastes nothing in your life. He uses everything in, for your good to develop you into who he created you to be. Listen to me this morning. If you want to know who God created you to be, the answer is who you become on the other side of everything in your life that you have to persevere through. You want to know who God called you to be? Persevere and you'll find out. Because everything in your life that demands perseverance from you is to mold you and shape you into who God created you to be. I love how the Passion Translation says the same passage. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. Thank God for the early church that they endured persecution because we would not even be here if they did not press through. We are here on the backs of men and women who endured persecution, died for their faith because they would not stop continuing and moving forward. That is such a blessing. By the way, James, according to, I believe it's uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, ends up getting thrown off the top of a church and dies. This is how he died. So he's not writing from this place of being exempted or just protected from any problems that everybody else is going through. He's writing it in the middle of all of that. So some thoughts on perseverance. Number one, perseverance is the choice to press on through something despite its difficulty. It's a choice. That's why James says, let perseverance finish its work. <laughs> you let it. No one is going to take you over and take control of you. <laughs> Some people are like, Lord, deliver me from the temptation. And isn't it interesting that Paul's like, there's a door that you can walk through to get out. But I'm not going to pick you up and carry you through. Like, we're, we're like fasting and praying 
for God to like appear as an angel, pick us up and just float out of the, the realm of temptation. And he's like, no, let perseverance finish its work. It's a choice. It's not an emotion, it's a discipline. Let means you have a choice. You can either persevere or not, but let me just say this. There is no way around how maturity is developed in you other than right through the middle of perseverance. Because as it says in verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance is the means by which we grow most. I love what Bill Johnson says, and it stuck, stuck with me for several months. He said, some people want spiritual maturity to be imparted to them in prayer when most spiritual maturity only comes through choices. Can you pray? Can you, can you pray that I'll grow up? Right? It won't be answered, Phil. It just... Can you... Can I come to the altar? I'm having a problem with my tongue. Can I come to the altar and you lay hands on my tongue so that I never have a problem with my tongue again? Sorry. Because um, some things don't come through impartation. They just come through your choices. That's why Paul in Galatians said, walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Like we want, we want some dramatic situation where God bails us out of our own immaturity. And God won't do that every time. We gotta let perseverance finish its work. That's why Perseverance, though practical, is as spiritual as anything else. You want to know how something hard becomes easier? Perseverance. Because perseverance is the way you gain the strength that makes what is hard easier. You don't get the strength to persevere through any other way than persevering. I remember um, we, we got our dog and we assigned Gideon to be the primary caretaker of the dog. So his responsibilities are every day he's got to give the dog water, he's got to give the dog food. Every single time that we, we crate our, our dog, um, because otherwise she'd like eat a hole through the drywall and escape. Um, yeah, she's a husky, so it's a problem. But um, uh, I've actually seen, side note, I've seen YouTube videos where like huskies have eaten concrete. Nuts. Okay, just crazy. <laughs> Anyways, back to it. Um, so... His job is like, you got to feed, you got to uh, uh, give, give her water. Uh, every time we go to leave, you got to take her down to the basement and crate her. Every time we get home, you got to go down, get her out of the crate, and then take her outside. Every time she's outside, you got to bring her back in. So this is a multiple times a day thing. And, and at, soon, at the beginning, he was always like, I don't want to. This is so hard. And we were like, um, sorry, this is what you got to do. And I love my wife. Every time that he would complain, whine, groan, or you know, moan, any of the kids, she'd just look at him and she'd be like, hey, do hard things. Because if you don't do hard things now, 
you'll treat a part-time job walk, working at Kroger's as the dog bowl that you don't want to fill. So the whole purpose is developing the muscle. Now, you know what's crazy? Is a couple years later, as soon as I tell Gideon to get up and take the dog, he's like, all right, jumps right up, runs out, does it, and then he's done. Wow, it doesn't even bother him anymore. You know why? Because the only way hard things become easier is by persevering. You just do it. You do it until it doesn't hurt anymore. You do it until it's no longer hard. And often we are looking at other people's lives, asking God, why can't I be like that person? And the truth is as simple as this. Maybe they continued beyond your ceiling because you just chose to stop. It's not a spiritual gift. They just kept on going forward. When you got to the point where you're like, can I send out a church-wide prayer request? That God will help me to get up at 8 a.m. Right? It's the choice that you make to press on despite its difficulty. Perseverance, number two. Perseverance always produces spiritual fruit. Say always. 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 George Mueller, uh, founder of the Ashley Down Orphanage, began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, crazy, two of the five were converted. So after ten years of prayer, three of the five friends came to the Lord. It took 25 years for the fourth man to come to Christ. Mueller persevered for the fifth friend for 52 years. He prayed and never gave up, and his perseverance was rewarded for soon after Mueller's funeral, the last friend accepted Christ. 52 years of prayer for five friends, but perseverance always produces fruit. Second story I want to share with you is this. It's from John Wesley's diary. I love this. Sunday, May 5th, in the morning, I preached at St. Anne's, was asked to not come back anymore. (laughs) Sunday in the evening, I preached in St. John's. The deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in another church. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, May 19th, in the evening, preached on the street, was kicked off the street. Sunday in the morning, May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. But Sunday evening, June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture and 10,000 people came out to hear me. Because perseverance always produces fruit. We are always just one step away from seeing the breakthrough in our lives that we want to see. It always produces fruit. 
Every moment you choose to persevere, you are one step closer to the fruit. Jean Bobby, a career French journalist, this is the craziest story I've ever heard in my life, saw his fast-paced life come to an end on December 8, 1995, when a stroke left him in a total state of paralysis. Yet he persevered. He learned to communicate by telegraphing a series of long and short blinks with his left eyelid, the only muscle that was still under his control. In June 1996, he blinked out a letter to his friends to let them know that his mind still works fine. In 1997, he published a 137-page book using his eye-blink method to write the book, and less than 72 hours after that, after his publishing, he passed away. Blinked out a book. <laughs> Can I, I just want everybody to remember this. When your kids are like, I can't do it. Look at him and be like, blink out a book, man. <laughs> Blinks out a book? Number three. God produced trials. Always have a purpose for the pain. I heard a pastor share this, and I thought this was so good. Trials are intensified when God is refining you. And in the midst of that, you will always want something to make you more comfortable and secure. And this is the most profound statement. So in the midst of a trial, you always have a choice. Do I go back to the idols that make me more comfortable? Or do I lean into what God is trying to teach me and allow him to be my crutch? Because if we choose to go back to our idols to soften our suffering instead of trusting God in the midst, we will never become as mature as he wants us to be. We always have the choice. Do I lean into God in the midst of the trial or do I go back to my pocket of idols that always bring me comfort. Perseverance always produces fruit. God produced trials, always have a purpose for the pain. Now, this is why contextually James chapter 1, 5, verse 5 matters so much. Because the wisdom in verse 5 is actually in the context of perseverance. In James 1, 5, it says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without Disappointment, that's what reproach means. Without disappointment, and it will be given to him. What does this scripture mean? This means that when you are going through something that demands you to persevere, God does not expect you to go through it blindly, but he invites you to ask him for the meaning in the middle of it, the purpose in the middle of it, and he will be one who delivers or reveals that to you. But I also want you to know that sometimes the first time you ask, he may not reveal it. It may take some time, but he's, James is encouraging people in the middle of the perseverance Ask God for wisdom about why we're going through it. What's going on? What is it? The Graham Cook question. What is it inside of this moment that you are trying to develop in me? God may not remove the trial because he's using it for your benefit. And that insight of getting wisdom is incredibly valuable because it can give you the emotional wherewithal to endure. 
Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 8 and 10. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time, look at what he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. You know what that does? That actually dismantles theology that we have that God always wants to heal and never allows us to go through anything that makes, demands uh, us to be strong in weakness. It does. God does want to heal. That is his plan. He died for our healing. But also, we have to understand, just like Paul, that there are sometimes God will not take the affliction away. And in the moment, he said, hey, my grace is all you need. Verse 10 says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses now. This is Paul's lesson learned. And I take pleasure in the hardships and the insults and the persecution and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. He didn't take it away. He responded with, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace. Do you know that Smith Wigglesworth, who was one of the most amazing men to walk the planet, walking in faith, I'm talking about, and you've heard this story, but I'm talking about him going in to funerals, picking the dead person out of the casket, throwing them up on the wall, and saying, in the name of Jesus, come back to life. They fall down. Sorry, they, he didn't hear me. Picks them up, throws them up again, falls again. Picks them up, throws them off, up again. Dude's eyes open, heart starts beating, and he walks out of his own funeral. That guy, amazing exploits. But do you know, at the end of his life, he bled incessantly from kidney stones? God wouldn't take the affliction away. He cried out, cried. This is... The, by the way, this is such an important topic because this is a mystery of our faith. How can we be the agent that God uses to heal somebody else, but we, when we cry out for our own healing, we're not getting it? It's the mystery of the faith that we have to accept. It doesn't mean that we just, we just, just quit and retire on believing God for miracles, but it just helps us understand Okay, go James 1.5. God, can you give me some wisdom about why this is not changing? My grace is sufficient. I was in a season several years ago. When you're like a kid, <clears throat> the paradox of life is that as a kid, you can't wait to grow up. And then when you get, become an adult and you have responsibilities, you're asking God to make you a kid again. Like, can I just no longer carry all this? Because you don't know as a child that once you get into adulting, it's like terrible. Like the, 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 the exchange of staying up later is not worth it. <laughs> Being able to eat whatever you want and stay up till midnight, it's not worth it. Let me be a kid again. And I was like complaining in my early 20s about uh, some of the responsibilities that smack me in the face as an adult. It's like, whoa, this is not fun. And um, 
Just to say, needless to say, as a youth pastor, I painted a really grim picture of adulting just to prepare our kids, you know. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) But I was like, God, like, here's the thing. I can take the responsibilities I asked for, but what about the ones I didn't ask for? Right? That's That's adulting. I didn't ask, I like those responsibilities. I didn't ask for that responsibility. And I I remember asking God for wisdom and he said this. He said, I am teaching you in this season how to be faithful to me in what you didn't ask for because later I will give responsibilities to you that you won't ask for. This is a trial to mold something in you so that later in your life, when things come down the way that you didn't ask for, you'll be faithful in what you didn't ask for. God-produced trials always have a purpose for the pain. And if I could have the uh, keys come up and play. Last one. If you choose perseverance, you can be guaranteed to die empty. I got morbid real quick. I don't think it means what you think it means, but if you choose perseverance, you can be guaranteed to die empty. James said in chapter 1, verse 4 again, so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Complete. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become complete, meaning... You won't have anything else that will be demanded or required of you. You will live your life to the fullest. Do you want to know one of the greatest dangers to an unfulfilled life? It's self-preservation. Self-preservation will hold you hostage to anything that challenges your comfort, challenges what's convenient, and challenges your fears. Jim Elliott Missionary to the Aka Indian said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Self-preservation will lead you to believe that in order to keep your life, you have to avoid anything that makes you uncomfortable. But the truth is this. If you live your life avoiding anything that's uncomfortable, are you really even living? You are held hostage to a box that you put yourself in. Self-imposed limitations. And I'm telling you, at the end of your life, you will lay your head on your pillow, regretting what could have been because of self-preservation. Jim Elliott actually died for his faith. He died shortly into spreading the gospel to a group of Indians that had never heard about Jesus. And in giving his life, which he really could not keep, he gained what he could not lose. Listen, I'm telling you, fear, anxiety, self-preservation will keep you bound because it will be a lie the enemy uses to, believe, to make you believe that you can extend your life by limiting what you do. But are you really even living? What matters of the years that you do nothing because of self-preservation? He gave a life which he could not keep, and he gained what he could not lose. He gained a fulfilled life 
by dying empty. He left it out on the field. He played to the last whistle. He died empty. And I'll never forget being at Columbus State in a communications class. And there was communications class like we had to we had to take a poem. We had to take some stuff and we had to recite it in front of everybody. And at that time, I was absolutely terrible at, at, at speaking the worst. But I'll never forget, I never heard this poem before, but this lady, this lady came up and said it, and I don't know what the context and the full meaning, but it stuck out to me, this line. It's by Dylan Thomas. It says, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. It's about passion. It's about fighting till the end. Now, I know we have to, we can rest, and I know those things, but it's, it's about this. Don't be Abraham's father stopping at Haran when you can go into Canaan. You still have life in you. Do you know when Caleb entered into the promised land, it was 45 years after God spoke to him that he could go in. He was 85 years old. Do you know what Caleb proved? Age is just a number. It's just a number. Because he said the same passion for going in and going into war still resides in me. Live your life with passion. Die empty. Don't go gentle into the good night. Don't retire before you retire. As I said earlier, if you want to know who God created you to be, the answer is who you become on the other side of everything in your life you have to persevere through. And I'll never forget a sermon I heard by the late, great Miles Monroe. It was absolutely transformational. He said this, It's changed the way that I think about cemeteries every time I drive by them. He said, do you want to know where the wealthiest places in the world are? The wealthiest place in the world is not a nation. It's not some lost ancient treasure waiting to be discovered. It's not a bank, it's not a treasury, and it's not Wall Street. The wealthiest spot on the earth is a cemetery. Why? Because it's not only a place where people are buried, but it's also where the unrealized potential and purpose in the people were laid to rest with them. In the cemetery are books that have never been written, music that has never been heard, paintings no, one, no eye will ever see, poetry that no one will ever read, business ideas that never materialize, sermons that will never preach, dreams that never became reality, great ideas that will never come to pass, medical cures that will never get to save lives, innovation that will be able to transform communities, and people who had souls that never heard the gospel. That's why it's the wealthiest place on the planet. The wealthiest place on the earth is a cemetery because people do not die empty. Because perseverance was not allowed to finish its work, making them mature and complete. The greatest legacy you can leave the world is leaving the world with nothing left to give. I love when Pastor Dwight talks about raising his girls because he said every single time I walked them down the aisle, I did not have a regret. Because in that season, it was about pouring it all out. 
with nothing left to give. The greatest legacy you can leave the world is leaving the world with nothing left to give because you died empty, because you allowed perseverance to finish its work, making you mature and complete. The closing question is, what is holding you back from letting perseverance have its work in you? Some of us, like, I want to tell you about the benefit of being a believer. Because it's one thing to persevere when you don't believe in Jesus, but it's an entirely different thing when you do believe in Jesus because you have access to a strength that the world does not know. How do you persevere? I love this because the Holy Spirit highlighted this this morning when I was playing Donkey Kong and praying at the same time. (laughs) Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You have access to a divine quickening in your spirit that will get you to be able to push forward beyond your own limitations. We're not here left alone to just grit it out and grind it out and be in the trenches and be exhausted in our own efforts. No, you can go to Paul, go to God like Paul did and have a grace that is made sufficient in your own weakness. And is it no accident that in Acts 2, when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, as Pastor Roy did at his close, it's no accident. And then they said, hey, how do we, what do we do from here? And he said, wait. Wait for Isaiah 40, 31 to come in the person of the Holy Spirit. Wait in the upper room so that you will have a new strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not get tired. You will walk and not become weary. The agent of the kingdom of God to supply you with the supernatural strength to continue to persevere is the person of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we are here is because there were people that waited in an upper upper room so that they would not grow weary through all of the persecution, all of the trials, all of the difficulties that came their way as they were continuing to spread the gospel. How do you persevere? You do the same waiting that they did. You wait for the person of the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh wind. That's why we prayed what we pray, or we sang what we sang today. How do you persevere? The person of the Holy Spirit, will you stand with me? And I just want to invite some people forward. If I could have maybe some pastors that would be willing to prepare some, our prayer. Actually, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's just do this. How many of you find in yourself that last question, what is holding you back from letting perseverance have its work in you? How many of you have an answer to that question? You got something that's holding you back from perseverance finishing its work. Come on, anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want, I want you to keep your hands up. There's no shame. I want you to keep your hands up, and I want you to go and gather yourself around one of these people. I want you to lay hands on them, and this is how we're going to close. We are going to pray that God would supply them with a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit so that they can walk out the reality of Isaiah 40, 31. So if you're in this room and you lifted your hand up, will you show it one more time? Thank you, thank you. Find a, find a hand. Find a hand and just go to that person right now. 
And let's begin to pray for them. And as you're praying, I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you that are watching online, I'm going to pray for you right now as those in the room that are receiving ministry. Father, in Jesus' name, those that are at home, maybe they're at home because they're tired. Maybe they're at home because they're weary. Father, going through a TV screen, you are omnipresent. And so, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would be omnipresent right now, that you would fill them, you would refresh them, give them a fresh wind to blow behind their spiritual sails, to catapult them forward into the days ahead. Give them a strength. Help them to run and not grow weary. Help them to mount up like wings upon, or with wings upon eagles. Help them to gain new strength. Help them to run and not get tired and walk and not become weary, God. Fill them from the tops of their heads to the bottoms of their feet with a supernatural strength and grace to press on and persevere so that they would be finished and complete, not lacking anything. And so, God, for those in the room, those in the room that need a fresh wind, give them a fresh wind. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Fill them now, God, a refreshing, just as Paul or Peter said in Acts 2, a refreshing, a time of refreshing would come upon them. And not just for us, but for the generations to come. Pour out a refreshing that supplies them with the strength to persevere. And God, every single person in the room, God, as I said at the beginning, if there's any group of people walking the earth today that should have grit, it should be the people of God. Strengthen what is getting weak right now. Fortify our spirit. Strengthen our legs. Give us a resolve and determination. I pray that there would be a conviction inside of our hearts to never quit, to constantly move forward, to die empty with nothing left to give this world and the people in our lives, God. Strengthen us, Lord. I pray that we would let perseverance finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And lastly, if you're in the room and you have never given your life to Christ, I want to ask you right now to surrender your life to Jesus. If you've never done that before, or maybe you have done it, but you know you're not where you need to be in your relationship with Jesus, you're, you're insecure about the state of your soul. If you're here this morning, and that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, Will you just slip your hand up? And you're not doing that for me. You're not doing it for me. You're doing it for him. Acts of faith require some form of response. And so a hand lifted is a simple way of showing Jesus, yeah, that's me. So God, those that are watching and those in the room that want to turn to you in this moment, put their faith in you and begin to follow you. I thank you that it is not my responsibility to shape their soul. It's the Holy Spirit that has wooed them, the Holy Spirit that has drawn them, 
and the Holy Spirit that begins to do the work in their heart. You know the sincerity of their hearts, God. So I pray today would be a fresh wind and a fresh beginning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Next week, James chapter 2. Maybe going back into James chapter 1, we'll see. If you're visiting, we'd love to meet with you. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.